Good morning. My name is Wade, one of the pastors here. Our text today is Deuteronomy 7, chapter verses 11, 1 through 11. I'm going to ask you to turn there. In your Bibles, your bulletins. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 11. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you enter, that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than yourselves. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. This is the word of God. Um, my uncle and his girlfriend, they are uh, they're uh, like a generation above me and they are big Prince fans. Um, and they would tell us about uh, the, the nieces and nephews about the times they went to the Prince shows. So they were huge fans. They had all the records and uh, they attended whenever Prince was in the Bay Area, they would attend his show. They somehow were able to get tickets. And uh, there was a season in Prince's career when he would begin his concerts with these words. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today to get through this thing called life. And this was, if you're familiar with his uh, with his songs, this is the, the opening line to his song, Let's Get Crazy. Uh, Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today to get through this thing called life. And I'm going to take that today. I'm going to tweak it a little, little bit um, for our purposes this Sunday. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today to know that we are dearly beloved. And I can go on. Let's go crazy if we really understand what that means. What happens to someone or something when they are loved well and when they know it? You, you may have seen these uh, videos on the internet where someone finds a stray dog and, and it's matted in, in filth and it's sickly, it's skinny, uh, it's, uh, it's squ- scared of uh, people around it and it looks like it's on the verge of death and what happens? 
these people, they, they nurse the dog back to health, they clean him up, they adopt him, and months later this dog is thriving. And you would hardly be able to tell that this dog was on the verge of death in a gutter before. These dogs were well loved. This is what love does to some beings. Uh, what about us? What would happen to you if you really understood that you are loved? What would happen to us as a people of God? What would happen to IGC if we knew that we were really loved by God? And that's a question I want us to think about as we look at today's text. Deuteronomy is a collection of the Moses, Moses' sermons and his speeches to the people of God before they're going to enter the promised land. And today, the passage we just read, it's these words that are spoken to the Israelites saying, telling them, you're going to go into this land and I want you to do this and I want you to know this. And as we go through the text, as we look at what God is saying, I, I have three points um, to help us understand what's going on in the text. Number one, uh, what does it mean to be wholly devoted to God? Number two, what does it mean to be freely chosen by God? And number three, what does it mean to be greatly treasured by God? What do these things mean? So um, let's go through it. We've got some difficult things ahead of us, but um, by the grace of God, maybe he can open our minds to hear what is true and what is good and what is necessary for us. So verse two, there is this kind of harsh verse here where God tells them, you're going to run into these seven nations. And when you do, when you fight them, I don't just want you to defeat them. I want you to completely destroy them. I want you to wipe them out. Uh, this is called in, if you if you study theology, this is called harem war, warfare. Um, harem is a Hebrew word. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it's basically advocating genocide. Um, why would God do that? There is an ethical concern to this. And Pastor John talked about this a few months ago when he went through another passage in Deuteronomy. And Pastor Michael, when he preaches the next passage, he will address this as well. Um, so I'm not going to answer all the ethical concerns, but know that it's on the way. But what I want to do this morning is talk about how this idea of wiping out these nations, how this idea fits into the larger picture of today's passage so the first question is this, why are there such extreme measures that the Israelites are given, are, are told to take? They're told, verse 2, destroy them completely. Number 3, do not let your sons or daughters marry their sons or daughters. Number 5, I want you to go into the land. I want you to tear down their altars, destroy all the idols, wipe out every last trace of idolatry. Why does God command them to do this? Isn't it enough for them just to enter the land that God promised them? To answer that question, it helps us to understand how the book of Deuteronomy fits into the rest of the Bible. Uh, one of the unique things about Deuteronomy as it relates to the holiness of God, and this is, um, it, it kind of uh, surprised me when I, when I studied this. One of the unique things about Deuteronomy as it relates to the holiness of God is this, that the notion of God's holiness is only mentioned one time in the book of Deuteronomy. Did you know that? We hear about the holiness of God all over the Old Testament, but in the book of Deuteronomy, it's only mentioned one time. And the holiness of God's people, this is put multiple times in 
the book of Deuteronomy. The holiness of God's people, the Israelites, this is rarely mentioned elsewhere in the Old Testament. Actually, if you look through the entire Old Testament, there's only two times in the Old Testament, once in Isaiah and once in Daniel, that the holiness of God's people is mentioned. But here in this one book, Deuteronomy, the holiness of God's people is mentioned five times. And I think this sets the framework for us to think about why God is talking about obeying the commandments, why he's talking about destroying these nations. It's intentional because one of the fundamental themes of the book of Deuteronomy is the holiness of God's people. And this is why we've, over the past few months, as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy, we hear over and over and over, this is your job, people of God, to obey his commands, learn his commands, And then I want you to teach your children the commands as well. You have a set of instructions to follow. And we get the same thing in today's passage. To obey. Uh, Pastor Michael, in his sermon last week, he talked about God being a jealous God. God is a jealous God. He loves his people. He wants his people for himself. And we have to think of it in terms of that. God says... I am jealous for you. I want all of you. These other nations that you are going to fight, they're not just your enemies. They're threats to your holiness. And when God is telling them, destroy the nations, he's saying this, that if there are remnants of these nations, if there are things that still exist from these nations, there would remain the possibility that they would tempt and pull the Israelites back into to pull the Israelites into their types of idolatry. Uh, specifically, we're told in this passage, if you take these other nations in marriage, and the reasoning is given in verse four, they would turn away your sons and your daughters from following me to serve other gods. There is this insidious threat. That if you do not destroy all of these, every vestige of these nations, then these people will pull you away from me. You will worship their idols if you don't take care of them right now. Um, We see this happening throughout the Old Testament in reference to marriage. Um, Or when people, when the people of God compromise with pagan nations, whenever there is compromise, it inevitably leads to destruction Their beliefs fail, their convictions falter, they start to love the things that the pagans love, and they start to hate the things that the pagans hate, which always are against God. So God is saying this, you are my people, you are holy, therefore you are to be completely different and separate from the foreign nations. So what's at risk if they don't destroy the nations? The very freedom of God's people is at stake if they don't listen to God. This is why God rescued them from Egypt. I rescued you from Egypt to set you apart. This is what holiness is. Holiness is to to be set apart or, or to be different, other from these nations that surround you. Um, going back to chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, there is a very explicit reason for giving, uh, for observing the commandments. It's so that they would not forget that they came from a land of slavery. And our passage today is a reiteration of that. God is saying, Israelites, my people, don't forget that you were once a slave. Never forget that you were once a slave. 
You were rescued so that you would not live in slavery again. But then God knows there's always an inclination in us to turn back to the things that we're comfortable in, in our sins and our slavery. So he's saying this, if you mingle with these nations, that's a snare. It's going to trap you. It's going to pull you into their idolatry. And these nations are full of idols that will draw your hearts away from me. And what is idolatry really? What is giving your heart and your attention to other gods? That is slavery because these things will control you. Idolatry is slavery. So God is saying this, I didn't rescue you from a land of slavery just so you could fall back into slavery. So I want you to do this. I want you to destroy the nations completely. Um, there's in verse 10, there's something that God says that plays into how we're supposed to think about this command to destroy the nations. He repays to their faces those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. What's God saying? God is saying this, that he himself could do this. God could, with one swipe of his hand, destroy all the nations. God is saying, I can do this. So why is he telling the Israelites to do it themselves? It's because God wants to reiterate and to underscore the significance of what God had done for them. He wanted them to carry out the act that he could have done himself so that they would know how serious this command is. The purpose is to eliminate rivals to God. Not just what's in front of them, but to eliminate the rivals of God in their hearts as well. Otherwise, they'll forget where they came from and what God had done for them. And if you forget that God has rescued you from slavery, you will return to slavery. So here's this command, this harsh, difficult command. And this command in in, in these verses is not really about destroying the bad guys. Although it is that, but primarily it's about this. It's about protecting the people that God loves. And that's you and me. That's the Israelites. God is telling the Israelites, this is how seriously I take your purity. This is how much I want you to be free, Israel. God calls for extreme measures because he wants us to be free. So for those of us who follow Jesus, this is what it means. To, ob- to obey God is to say yes to freedom. To disobey is to deliberately grab a chain from the land of slavery and to wrap it around your ankle. You're saying, that's what I really want. I want to serve that idol. I want to serve that desire. I want to serve whatever it is rather than God. So God is calling his people to a wholehearted obedience to him. God is saying, not just in your minds, uh, but when you're fighting, I want your whole body to be engaged in this command. Um, To kill someone takes a lot. You have to overcome a lot mentally and physically for that to happen. And why would God do that? 
because he's wholeheartedly devoted to your good. God wants his people to give themselves over completely to him for their good. So this is the obligation that we have as the people of God. This is the obligation of the Israelites. Verse 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Now notice verse 6, it doesn't say that you will be holy after you do these things. The holiness is a status that's given to the Israelites before they do anything. You do these things, Israelites, because you are holy. And to obey God is to live out what is already true of you. So it's the responsibility of God's people to do what God's people are called to do. So how can they be called holy? How can they be God's people? This brings us to our next point. Um, Freely chosen by God. Uh, As we continue on in the passage, look at this phrase. It says this, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Um, And here we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what it means to be chosen. And this veers into a doctrine called election or predestination. Uh, It's this idea that God chooses people to be his. Before there was time, God chose selected people to belong to him. And this is a very controversial topic in certain circles. If you've ever read a debate about this online, you know it gets really heated, um, sometimes very ugly. Uh, Even uh, perhaps even among our own church members, this could be something that is debated. People get really emotional about it. And I could spend several sermons to talk about what it is. I could explain the riches of it. I could uh, try to answer the objections. Um, But I'm not going to do that today. I don't have time for that. That's not the scope of this sermon. Um, So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or any of the pastors. Um, A couple books I I would recommend. Um, Michael Horton's What's So Amazing About Grace and um, R.C. Sproul's Chosen by God. Um, You could check those books out or talk to the pastors. Um, So I'm not going to cover this topic entirely because there's no way I can do it with the time that I have. Um, But I do want to acknowledge that some people have problems with this teaching. Um, But I hope that as we study it right now with the time that we have, that it will cause us to be in awe that this is something that God does. So with the time that we do have, I want to explain how this idea fits into this passage, what it says about God and uh, how it changes our lives. So first, what does it mean for Israel, for Israelites to be chosen? God explains it. He says this. It means that of all the nations on earth, God selected Israel to belong to him. They were the nation that God made a covenant with. They were the people that God promised to care for and set his love upon. There's acknowledgement that there are other nations, but the rest of verse 6 implies that no other nations were chosen. Out of all the peoples, all out of all the nations that existed at this time, God chose only one, the Israelites. So what does it mean to be chosen? Um, The order of the choice of the Israelites is really important. And this is where we're going to dig a little bit deeper into the passage right here. Look at verse 8 as a reference point. God says, 
he redeemed Israel from Egypt. Um, we use the word redeem or redemption in certain contexts in modern in our modern language or in day-to-day language uh, right now. Um, a few years ago, I got a call from some friends that were visiting from out of town. Um, they called at like 11 or 12 at night and um, they said, hey, Wade, uh, our car got towed. What do we do? And I said, oh, man, your car got towed in San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, that stinks. Um, what they had to do was they had to go to the tow yard because they parked in an illegal spot. A a tow truck came and took the car away. Um, They had three little kids with them. So this was a huge ordeal. Um, Ruined their trip to San Francisco. Uh, They had to head down to the tow yard. And then when they got there, they had to pay $500 to redeem their car. There's that word redeem. They didn't purchase the car. That wouldn't make sense because... The car had already belonged to them. It was theirs, but they redeemed it. They redeemed it. To redeem something means to get back what belongs to you. And when God says in this passage that he redeemed the Israelites from Egypt, the implication is that they belonged to him before they were enslaved. He rescued them because he made a covenant with their fathers. And and, and when was this generation of Israelites, the ones in Deuteronomy, when were they born? They were born after the covenant promises were made. And here, God is saying this to the Israelites, that you were always mine. You were always mine. Before you were rescued from slavery, before you entered slavery, you belonged to me. And his rescue of them was an outworking of his choice of them. But they always belonged to him. And uh, the title of our second point is this, Freely Chosen by God. What does it mean that the Israelites are freely chosen by God? It means that they are not, that God was never obligated to choose them. And for us, if you are a follower of Christ today, if you belong to God, God was never under any obligation to choose you. In the movie, The Sound of Music, there's there's a scene when Maria, one of the main characters, she realizes that the captain is in love with her and she really likes him. So she's really excited. And of course, Sound of Music, she's going to break out into song. And this is what she sings. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Maria thought, Captain loves me, and this is something that I must have earned. There must have been something that I've done or something that I am that that deserved that type of love from the captain. And we think the same way. We think that if we have something, that we must have done something to deserve it. If we believe that we're accepted and loved by God, um, ask yourself, what is the basis why am I accepted? Why am I loved by God? Why am I chosen by God if you belong to him right now? Is it because you hold to correct doctrine? No. The Bible says that demons have amazing doctrine, better than you do, and they're still hellbound. Is it because you're a good person? Well, what happens when you stop being a good person? If you live long enough, you should realize that you're not. 
when you get angry or when you've been wronged or when you give into temptation or when it becomes just tiring to be a good person, what happens then? Will God cease to love you? Is it because you're generous? And the question is this, what if everything you have is taken from you and you have nothing left to give? Your health, your money, your finances, your friends. How then will you be generous? Is it because you're productive and you do a lot for your community or for your church? Well, what if you got sick and you couldn't serve? What if you couldn't talk to anyone? What if you couldn't connect with anyone? Then what? Is it because of anything that you've done? Is it because of anything that you are that you're chosen by God? And the doctrine of election says this, that there is absolutely nothing about you. There's absolutely nothing that you've ever done that caused God to choose you. You were never deserving of this. Nothing you've ever done has impressed God. And I really like what Charles Spurgeon says. The only thing necessary, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's all you've got to give to God is your badness and your sin and your failures. God has never been impressed by anything that you've done. And this is what's going on in verse 7. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. And here God is telling the Israelites this, that it wasn't their numbers or their strength or their potential that made him choose them. He chose them simply because he loved them. And he loved them simply because he wanted to love them. This is the freedom of God. Nothing we do obligates God to respond in any way. God doesn't owe us anything for our kind deeds and for our good intentions. I hope that as we listen to that, we start to understand how amazing this is, that God loves his people. He loves the Israelites in Deuteronomy. He loves those of us on the field at San Felipe Park. For those who are watching on the live stream on YouTube, he loves you because he wants to love you. You did not choose God. God chose you. And I'm so thankful Uh, For the song that Nate led, my Lord, I did not choose you for that could never be. My heart would still refuse you had you not chosen me. The doctrine of election says this, that before you were born, before your parents conceived you, before your parents had met, before the universe was spoken into existence, before you ever sinned, before you ever had any good intentions, God chose you. God chose you to belong to him, knowing how badly you would fail, knowing how many sins you would commit, knowing how many times you would rebel against him, knowing how many times you would dishonor him. And God still said, that person is mine, my son, my daughter. And if we understand this, this should instill in us a deep humility If you're loved and accepted by God, it had nothing to do with your talents, nothing to do with your gifts or your morality or your love for others. It also means that if you're a rotten, terrible person who does horrible things, 
that does not play a part in whether or not God will choose you or has chosen you. And it means that if you are a friendly, respectable person who is engaged in the church life and who also struggles with bitterness and lust and greed, it means that even so, God has chosen you if you belong to him. And what should this do if we understand it? This should humble us. It should make us go before the Lord and be in awe of the fact that we've been saved from judgment and hell. It should make us tremble and it should fill us with grateful humility. It should cause us to worship. There's nothing we've done to be right in God's eyes. And yet he says, you're righteous, you're holy. And this should also make us respect and love and honor everyone that we come in contact with. Especially now, perhaps. Um, I go on Facebook nowadays and I see just how divided people are. I see how many people that I disagree with. I see the vitriol in the debates. Um, And what does this doctrine teach us? That there is not a single thing in me that makes me superior. I am no better than anyone else. There's nothing about me that makes me any better in the eyes of God. So we are freely chosen by God. God was under no obligation to make you his own. And yet he has, if you belong to him in Christ So we continue to look at the text and we see the reason why God chose the Israelites and why he chooses us. Uh, Verse 7 again. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Hear this indelible grace church. God did not choose you He did not save you because you would make a great team player in the kingdom of God. Nor did he save you because you had a lot of potential. He didn't choose you because you were attractive in any way. Not physically, emotionally, financially, uh, whatever else. He didn't choose you as some sort of strategic initiative. You are not a project or a goal in the long-term objectives of God. God chose you for one purpose, to be his treasured possession. God chose you so that he could lavish his love on you. The original Hebrew in this passage refers to a, a uh, not just a, a type of love, but a super intense love that God sets upon his people. Do you believe that God super intensely loves you? Do you believe that God values you? That God likes you even? Despite how messed up you are? How deep and intense is that love? The Old Testament believers, they believed in the covenant promises of God. And this is one of the themes of Deuteronomy. The covenant of God. The covenant promises of God. And they were looking forward to the full expression of that covenant love. 
And they did not see it in their lifetimes. But now we know. Now we know. The fullest expression of God's love is found in the person of Jesus Christ. On the cross, Jesus took on the punishment that we had earned by disobeying God. Our attempts at making our own rules and obeying our desires should have destroyed us. But the gospel says this, that God gave us his most treasured possession. The song that we sang earlier, Jesus is the darling of heaven. God the Father sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross. Jesus took on our sins upon himself. And on the cross, this is what happened. Jesus went from God's most treasured possession to the most vile, disgusting being in the universe. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. God hates sin. And God, Christ became sin on the cross on our behalf. On the cross, our identity is secured because Christ gave us his righteousness. And now we have the right to be called the sons and the daughters of God. And here I just want to mention this, this uh, maybe something that, that might bother you. Uh, what if I'm not chosen? What if God did not choose me? How can I know? And the answer is this, that all are welcome. If you have any interest, if you have any desire, if you're moved at all by the fact that the universe, that the, the creator of the universe loves you and wants you, that's the Holy Spirit working. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you. And he will never cast out those who come to him. The invitation is open to all. The invitation is open to all. So this is how much you're loved. You're the treasured possession of God. And if you're his, God in his love, he is going to rescue you. And there's... A couple verses in Ephesians where it says that God predestined us. He saved us so that we would carry out what he's called us to do. But we don't carry out those things for God to love us. We carry out those things because he loves us. And this is what it means for our life. That God will, in his love, will rescue you. And God will build you up. And he will break you. And then he will heal you. And then he will frustrate you and anger you. And then he will help you. And then he will disillusion you. And then he'll carry you. And then he'll humble you. And he may even humiliate you. And then he'll honor you and care for you. And he'll guide you through the darkest valleys of your life. And he'll carry you through the brightest days of your life. And he's always going to do you good because he love you, loves you. Because he treasures you. And when you understand this, then you can obey his commands. This is what gives us the power to obey the commands of God, as severe as they may seem. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 7. As the chosen ones of God, we obey not to earn God's acceptance. God's acceptance of you is already a done deal. That's irrevocable. He's chosen you. 
Instead, we can obey because we understand our identity as his treasured and beloved children. This is what gives us the power to obey God's commands. Do you believe this? That God super intensely loves you. He chose you so that he could show you his love. If we understand this, then we can listen and obey and worship our God. I'm going to close with the words of this hymn. It's uh, The title of the hymn is Love Constraining to Obedience. Love Constraining to Obedience. And these are the verses. To see the law by Christ fulfilled. To hear his pardoning voice. And listen to this. Changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. We're changed as a slave into a child and duty now becomes a choice. No strength of nature can suffice to serve the Lord aright. And what she has, she misapplies for want of clearer light. How long beneath the law I lay in bondage and distress. I toiled the precept to obey, but toiled without success. You're going to fail to obey God if you don't understand that he's, he loves you. Then to abstain from outward sin was more than I could do. Now, if I feel its power within, I feel I hate it too. I hate the sin in my heart. Then all my servile works were done, a righteousness to raise. And here we go. Now freely chosen in the Son, I freely choose his ways. We can freely choose his ways because we understand that we are freely chosen in the Son. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that this uh, difficult doctrine of predestination, of election, um, it may be difficult for us, it may frustrate us, um, but more than anything, it speaks of your great love for us. And I pray that this would seep deep into our bones, that not by anything that we've done, not by anything that we intend to, to do, not by our potential, but simply because you love us, you chose us. God, I pray that this would seep deep into our hearts and that this would change us. Um, you love us and we love you because you first love us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.